The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. You're listening to Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. It's time for a different take on spirituality for the modern world. Welcome to Big Universe with Jim Lefter and Reverend Raymond Anderson. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Big Universe on Unity Online Radio. I'm Jim Lefter, kind of a spiritual journeyman kind of guy, a media producer. I run a website called youthrivehere.com, and I'm here with our very beloved children's host and sole proprietor of Mr. Raymond's Neighborhood, the Reverend Dr. Raymond Anderson, Senior Minister for the Center for Spiritual Living in Greater Baltimore. Hey, Raymond. Hello, Jim. How are you? Good. Is it a beautiful day in your neighborhood? Of course. Always. Hold on. I think Mr. McFeely's at the door. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. That was just King Friday. You sure it wasn't a pizza delivery? (laughs) You never know. You never know. Have you seen the uh, Mr. Rogers movie with Tom Hanks? No, as soon as I was getting ready to go, it had left theaters. So as soon as it's on demand, I will be one of the first people that's like, okay, time to log in. Is it already out of the theaters? That's too bad. Yeah, in some theaters. In the theaters where I am now, yeah, it's gone. Bummer, man. I uh, I would like to see that as well. I guess I'll have to wait for it. Yeah, about 50 people have already emailed me, texted me, called me or something to see if I saw uh-huh. it yet. Well, you know, since you are Raymond's neighborhood, <laughs> Raymond's neighborhood, I think you really do need to see it. Yeah, I mean, well, I have a special relationship with Fred Rogers anyway, you know, since I'm from Pittsburgh, he's from Pittsburgh, and grew up in Pittsburgh, et cetera, and I actually had an opportunity to see him deliver a sermon one time in Pittsburgh at one of the Presbyterian churches. So it's like, oh my goodness, this is Mr. Rogers, he's <laughs> It completely messed my mind up for a moment. <laughs> How was he? Was yeah. he good? Oh, no, he was extremely, it's him. Like I told people, the man you see on the television show is the man in real life. He is a very mild-mannered, calm, but he has a very interesting sense of humor. That's cool. Yeah, I'm going to just leave it at that. He has a very interesting sense of humor. All right, enough with our famous Mr. Rogers. Let's go on with... Dueling Inspirations. Now, I bet my inspiration is better than yours, Raymond. Yeah, and I'm willing to counter that with three donuts and a cup of coffee. Ooh, I'll add a cupcake in there for you. I know you like cupcakes. Okay, you go first. All right. When the faith is strong enough, it is sufficient just to be. It's a journey towards simplicity, towards quietness towards a kind of joy that is not in time. 
It's a journey that has taken us from primary identification with our body and our psyche onto an identification with God and ultimately beyond identification. Mm. I like that. That's deep. Who was that? Cookie Monster. No. <laughs> Sounds like him. Ram Das. Ah, okay. Yeah. Makes sense. So you ready? I'm ready. Okay, let's see. Everything you desire already exists as a possibility in capital L life. By accepting your destiny as though it were already an established fact, you use the law of this principle in a way which causes it to bring into your experience the thing which you have definitely specified through your act of faith. There is a law of faith just as there is a law of gravity. Your faith can bring anything to you within the realm of your ability to conceive of such a thing. Hmm. I want to say either Ernie Holmes or Joseph Murphy. You were right with the first one, Ernie Holmes. Hey, Ernie. Yeah. I was going to play around and say L. Ron Hubbard, but then <laughs> I thought that might be inappropriate. And a lot of people, you know, when you mention religious science, you have to say, okay, but it's not Scientology. Exactly. Exactly. They hear that science part and they're like, oh, it must be this. No, not Tom Cruise. Thank you. Yeah. But, you know, if you're believing in that, that's fine. That's whatever, whatever works for you. It's not it's our just, path. It's not the new thought path. Right? Not the new thought path. Okay, so you know we're going to be talking to Bob Trask today. He's the author of the book, Romancing the Soul. And I'm amazed at the many careers and roles he's had in his life. Right? Yeah, he's been a firefighter, a seaboat captain, a truck driver, a professional singer, a motivational speaker, and a unity minister. And that's not all. Right. I'm like, dude, you've got a 57-page resume. I know. I think that's pretty cool. We're going to talk to him later about his path and creation of what he calls the Trask Triangle as a means to uh, navigate life. But I, I'm wondering, you know, what kind of jobs have you had in your life on that winding path? I know that, you know, I I was a producer for Discovery Channel and Discovery Networks and all that. I was also on camera as a reality on a reality show called Random One on A and E. Oh. Okay. Um, I started an ebook publishing company where somehow I ended up produ uh, producing a bunch, publishing a bunch of romance authors. Okay. Was quite a, a surprise to me. <laughs> and uh, I also, you know, had new thought channel internships mm -hmm. and all that stuff. I mm -hmm. worked retail and I worked in a store warehouse and I even worked for this old department store, which is on hard times. Now we won't mention which <laughs> I was a customer service rep. Wow. One okay. of the, one of the worst things I had to do was try to sell laundry detergent to irate customers. Wow. You know, people aren't particularly happy and interested in buying detergent when you've just told them it'll be a month until they can get their air conditioning fixed. <laughs> I hear that. <laughs> yeah. But they made me do it. What have you done? I know you've had an interesting winding path. So let's see. First job right while in high school would have been furniture mover. Um, of course, I ended up becoming a public school teacher. I was a what model. Did you, what did you teach? So when I first taught public school, it was art, certified K through 12. And you're a great, he's a great artist, by the way. He's a really good artist. Thank you, sir. 
Uh, and I started teaching middle school, then I went to high school and then went back to teaching middle school. Then let's see, other interesting things. I used to be a custodian for a woman's department store, <laughs> which was interesting. <laughs> I, I got a job very briefly as a photographer for a morgue. Really? Yeah, that lasted all of 24 hours. <laughs> I was like, you want me to take pictures of what? Oh my okay, God. let's go. Okay, I'm done. I, I, I can't do this. Um, let's see, what else have I done? Model for art classes. Uh, sign what language kind of model? What kind of model? We, we already know, so we're not going to talk about it. <laughs> uh, I know. Yeah, when, when I was a student at the Art Institute, one of the professors who is a world-renowned artist, he asked me to model for some artwork that he was going to eventually have uh, displayed somewhere in Italy. I'm like, you can't pass that up. But who am I? Oh, I'm Adam, but I'm black. Okay, fig leaf. Okay, so yeah, interesting. <laughs> uh, I was a sign language interpreter for many years, and ended up being a public school teacher again. This time, teaching sign language and minister. Yes, yes, and now you're the senior minister at the Center for Spiritual Living in Greater Baltimore. Yes, yes, yes. Well, that is awesome. I, I love that stuff. I love to hear what people have, uh, you know, the winding paths that uh, people have taken to uh, where they are now. So, mm -hmm. Oh, and there, there are others. I mean, that's, the, that's a synopsis. <laughs> well, cool. Well, we're going to talk to uh, Bob Trask in just a minute. Yes, yes. And now here's a segment with Ed Biagioti. Hello, it's Crazy Eddie. And today we're talking about the winding road. I love the winding road. Do you know why I love the winding road? Well, I'll tell you why I love the winding road. I love the winding road because it is the road that we are on. And anytime I take a moment to relax and affirm that all is well, I discover that this winding road is taking me exactly to the places and people and experiences that my heart desires. Just this morning, while doing my morning routine, I read the daily word, which was surrender. The affirmation was, my perfect life is unfolding before me. Part of it says, there's a divine pattern that is growing into its perfect expression within me. As I recognize and bless this perfect design, I harmonize myself with my inner unfoldment. I release attachments to outcomes, trusting my intuition, and awakening to feelings of peace that arise from deep within me. And I love this because it reminds me that there's always going to be a part of my mind that thinks it knows what's going on, that thinks it knows how things should happen or where they should happen or when they should happen. And I mean, this part of my mind and this part of all of our minds, it's doing its best to make sense out of life and it makes sense about what's going on based on the limited amount of information that it has. I know it's tempting for me to start to think that that's my enemy, but I feel like it's more beneficial for me to look at that as like a child within me and my job is to be a loving and firm parent to that child. And part of being a loving and firm parent is taking the time each morning to read something inspiring. I have four or so books now that I read from. As you heard a moment ago, one of those is The Daily Word, which I subscribe to from Unity, which is amazing. I recommend it for everyone just because it's so practical 
and so simple, and more times than not, I read it, and I go, wow, this is perfect for me today, just like the one that I read earlier was perfect for the topic of the winding road, because the road just, it's always winding. The thing is, through that daily practice of making what some people call conscious contact with God, with the higher power, with actually who we really are, with the truth of our being, when I do that, that part of me that can sometimes feel frantic and is trying to figure everything out, it naturally relaxes. It's, I, my faith goes through the roof, but it's not because of an act of will, like I'm willing myself to be faithful. No, instead it's I'm relaxing and reconnecting with thoughts and feelings that bubble up from deep within me that make it easy to have faith because it's so clear that I'm taken care of, that we're all taken care of. If we'll just relax and listen to what some people call that still small voice, go within us and just let that bubble up, listen long enough that that becomes the primary voice of direction within us. That becomes the feeling tone, as some people call it, of our lives. That becomes, wow, everything I've ever dreamed of, everything I've ever desired is more real than any of these fears, doubts, and worries that somehow have made their way into my consciousness and seem to be floating around us all day as we move through the world. So love the winding road because it's the one we're on. And if, if we're willing to look back in our lives, no matter what happened, if we were the more the whether or not really we surrendered in the beginning or it took us a long time to surrender, we eventually realize that life takes us where we want to go, where we need to go, where we desire to be. Like the two men who are walking down the stream next to a river, that is, to get to a city far away, and the river overflowed suddenly, and the men got sucked in. One of them tried to desperately get back to the shore, fighting, fighting, oh, no. And he, got, he ended up drowning. The other one said, you know what? There's no way I'm going to do anything against this river at this moment. So he relaxed, let it take him. Eventually it calmed down. He climbed out of the river and realized he was actually at the city that he intended to get to. And he got there much faster as a result. So anyway, love the winding road. You can find me at Crazy Eddie Loves You on Instagram. Crazy Eddie, E-D-D-Y, loves you on Instagram. Because Crazy Eddie does love you. All right, Raymond, are you ready to jump into our interview with Bob Trask? Yes, I am ready to romanticize the soul. Our guest today is Reverend Bob Trask, minister at Unity of Bellingham. He's also the author of four books, including one of my favorites, Romancing the Soul, which includes an elaboration on what he calls the Trask Triangle, uh, which is an amazing concept that you can use to create an effective life. Uh, you know, one of the things that we were talking about earlier uh, that I was talking about with Raymond was the vast number of different jobs and positions you've had. And we talked a little bit about those experiences we've had, but firefighter, seaboat captain, <laughs> truck driver, professional singer, and, and of course, motivational speaker. This has been a, an interesting path for you. Yeah, it really has. I, you know, I, I dropped out of high school in the 10th grade. And it was, it, at the time, I felt really, I had to do that in order to help support my family. But 
at the time I felt really, really um, like a like a terrible burden had been put on me because I really loved education. But looking back over the years, I realized that I've had a much better education without the schooling uh, because I've, mm. when you when you start off with no high school diploma, that means you're working for in those days 75, 80 cents an hour, and so that means you can change jobs as fast as you want because they're all they're all nothing jobs and you wash dishes or clean toilets or pump gas. But what happened is that I kept learning about so much about people, so many different people and different kinds of people and different kinds of situations. And it's just been a wonderful education. I'm really grateful for it. Excellent. Excellent. You know, I didn't finish your introduction. I already said hi. So I, I should go back <laughs> and say that Bob created the ARAS, uh, nonprofit ARAS Foundation. Uh, he, he and his wife and their team have fed and clothed thousands of families, um, sent more than 6,000 bicycles to African villages. Bob has designed and taught personal success programs to hundreds of thousands of people uh, in 13 countries. He's just got, he's got a pretty good resume there. For sure. Thank you. <laughs> now, I have to tell Raymond that uh, when I was on a call with uh, Bob recently, he said that he had uh, coffee and biscotti ready for me on the call. <laughs> And of course, he's in he's in Washington, and I'm in uh, Maryland. So I I was I really liked that. I thought that was cool. the coffee was excellent, Bob. Very good. Thank you, thank you. It's a special grind. It's a special grind that I that I buy from uh, Costa Rica. <laughs> do you do you have uh, something ready for Raymond and I now? Yes, uh, we've got some uh, fresh and they're still warm oatmeal chocolate chip. I hope. Ramon, I think that's, I hope that's going to be all right for you. You said chocolate. It, yes. It's, it's all good and it's all God. <laughs> yes, it is. It's, it is all good and all God. Do you like cream and sugar in your coffee? Very much so. All right, you got it. Thank you. <laughs> so I, I know that we, well, there's so much to talk about, um, and I want to get into the triangle a little bit because I think that's really cool. But um, early on in your life, you had an experience with a gentleman named Leon, and I wondered if you could talk about that story and how it affected you. Sure. You know, at the time, I was an ambulance driver and attendant in San Francisco, and this was before the days when there was... Um, uh, there, there were no paramedics or EMTs or, or city-owned and run uh, ambulances. And um, so I, I had been called out to the avenues several times, out to the avenues in San Francisco. For those of you in San Francisco, you'll know that's out toward the beach. Uh, several times to one home where Leon Ames and his wife lived. And um, she had... Uh, uh, a pretty severe chronic disease and we picked her up and took her into the hospital several times and and she kept getting a little weaker and a little weaker and eventually she died and and I knew when she died and felt terrible about it because we had become friends and then I got a call to go back out to the avenues to the address and I knew the address and I knew that was Leon's address and when I went out and picked him up on the way into the hospital and he was having a heart attack and he was in really serious shape. And, and I asked him um, the question, I said, Leon, do you have any regrets when you look back over your life? 
And I've been, guys, I've been asking this question of a few people and I, I felt a little awkward if somebody is near death to ask them, when you look back over your life, do you have any regrets? But I found that nobody was insulted by that. So when I asked Leon, he was quiet for a minute. And then he said, kind of quietly, he said, I never built my boat. And I said, Leon, what are you talking about? He said, Bob, when I was young, I saw that boats fight their way through the water. They push the water. There's a way to have boats be like fish so that they glide through the water. And actually, the water can actually help propel them. And I said, my gosh, I, you know, and I had spent a lot of my life on boats. I went to South America on a tuna clipper when I was 14 years old. So I understood boats a lot. And I said, God, Leon, that's a great idea. He said, well, it'll never be built now. And I said, why didn't you do it? Well, he said, I had kids to put through school and, you know, and we had a little grocery store and, you know, it just, it just never got around to it, but it was always strong in my heart and in my mind. We got to the hospital and took, took Leon in and he was on a gurney in the hallway and and I knew that he was going to be gone. I mean, he was very, very close to dying. And he had told me in the ambulance, he said, I really don't want to live anymore. Since Molly's gone, I'm not even, I'm not even having any fun. I'm not interested in living anymore. I'm ready to go. And I knew when he was in the hospital that he would be dead. And I went back out to the ambulance and I sat down in, in, and was doing some paperwork, waiting for my assistant to come back out. And it started raining and the rain was running down the windshield. And it was like, to me, it was like tears. I felt a sadness inside of me that I couldn't understand. And I kept thinking, he'll never build his boat. Not only will he never build his boat, but that boat will never be built ever because there was only one person in all of history ever that was Leon Ames that would have seen that truth and how he saw it. And now that will never ever happen and I felt sad about that and as I sat there watching the rain come down the windows and feeling so sad inside I suddenly realized I wasn't building my boat I wasn't doing my life's work I was doing what was expected of me or what was fun or what seemed important but I was not following my bliss as Joseph Campbell told us and shortly after that I quit the ambulances and I left San Francisco and I went to San Diego and I went to sea and, and I spent the rest of my years up until I started doing this work actually at sea. Now you had a revelation at sea as well as a seaboat captain. And I think it was during a hurricane. Can you talk about that a little bit? Well, I had been, I'd been running boats for a while and I had worked my up, way up from the deck to get a master's license, a master's uh, captain's license from the Coast Guard. And, and this boat was a beautiful boat, big boat. And uh, I had um, uh, 35 passengers and 15 crew. And and we were down in the Sea of Cortez, um, which is um, south of, of uh, California and, and Arizona down in that long stretch. We were down in there and we had been doing diving and fishing and taking pictures and doing underwater photography. And, and we were starting back out of there and, and I could see 
at night, these enormous swells rolling toward us. So my assistant called out to the, to the outside and talked to a states liner. And they said, don't come out here into the open ocean. Stay in the Sea of Cortez because it's, it's crazy out here. Um, the, the winds are over 160 knots and it's really fierce. So I turned around and went back up into La Paz. And on the way back toward La Paz, I started looking for places I could go and things I could do if the hurricane caught us there. And I had five options at the time I went into the port of La Paz. And when I came, when the hurricane hit and it did hit there, I couldn't stay inside of the port. I had to get back out into the open ocean because it was the, the, the ships and boats that were in the port that were in the bay there were all being thrown up on the shore. So I fought my way back out, but going back out through the channel, the, the, the water was only 30 feet deep, but the seas were more than 30 feet. So we hit the bottom of one of those troughs and it collapsed our propellers so that all I had is my starboard or right side propeller. And so we went out and I went through each one of those five fail safes that I had. I went through each one of them and each one of them collapsed. None of them would work because of the season or because they had blown away. None of them would work. The, the wind was so loud. It, it was like being inside of a freight train engine. It was screaming. You could not hear. In order to hear somebody, you had to put your mouth right up to their ear and yell, and maybe they could hear you. So I sent, I, I said, there's a big sea buoy, a big round sea buoy, giant sea buoy with a big ring on top of it. And I said, I'll come up alongside of that. The crew, I want you to put our anchor chain through that and fasten it, and we'll fall back against that buoy. And so they went down and they were laying on the deck along the starboard side because the seas were coming sometimes over the deck. And they had the chain and they were passing the chain up, but we were above the buoy by three feet and below the buoy. So it was really hard for them to get the chain through. During that time, a big sea came over the side of the boat from the port side, from the left side, and washed across there, and I saw two of them go over the side. We had already seen several people drown, several boats sink out there during that time, and I just knew that we'd lost two of our dear crew members, and we were like family, and, and yet we had to go on. So we finally got the, the, the chain through the ring and fell back against it, and I felt so naive because the minute that boat fell back against that chain, I realized it would break the chain. I just thought, how could I have been so silly? So I went back. So I said, well, I've got to go up to the pilot house. So I went up to the pilot house. My second in command was inside of the pilot house. And, and there was a glass window on the door. And I tried to open the door, but the wind was blowing against the door so hard, I couldn't open it. And I looked in and I could see John and I was yelling at him and beating on the door, but he had his head down in the radar and he couldn't see me or hear me. Okay, so let, I me turned stop you. let me stop you right there. I hate to interrupt you, but we'll be back That's okay. on Unity Online Radio on Big Universe. Be right back. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to a slightly off-kilter look at spirituality 
This is Big Universe with Jim Lefter and Reverend Raymond Anderson. Martha Creek is joining us today with this Unity Moment. Hi, this is Martha Creek. It's a pleasure and joy to be with you today. I have a calling to serve those who serve. So it's an honor to bring forth any of the teachings or principles or anything that I've seen in my own life that's made um, transformative differences in that. So I want to look at the principles of unity, the five principles of unity. The first one is God is good, or God is. God is good. God is all. There is only one power and one presence active in the universe and in my life. It's a common opening for most Unity churches. Their statement of belief, a statement of presence. There is only one power and one presence active in the universe and in my life. God, the good, omnipotent. God is absolute good and everywhere present. God is the source, the creator of all. There is no other enduring power. God is good and present everywhere. So as we look at these principles, it's, it's quite easy to read that. It's quite easy to say the words. It's quite easy to have a platitude or an attitude or an um, affirmation of this. It's an entirely different thing to be able to live this out, to uh, make this part of our daily embodiment and embodiment from situation to situation because it's one thing to say that there's one power and one presence in all the universe and then to say, well, it doesn't include that woman who just rolled her eyes at me or it doesn't include that man who won't apologize to me or it won't include that person over there or that organization over there or that. So throughout my coursework, throughout my life, I could see that the notions that we have about what are good and bad and not good, or good and evil, black and white, right and wrong, are this basic binary system of filing that the mind has, and that the problem lies in how they've been categorized, at least in my mind. So I look upon something and I name it good, then I'm going to experience it as that. If I look upon anything and name it bad or wrong or dark or any other thing like that, evil, then I'm going to experience it as that. So I know that in my own life, it's been absolutely critical, vital, to work at systematically dismantling this old paradigm of filing to stop seeing things uh, as good or bad, right or wrong, and to begin to see things from the multiple viewpoints that we have. So that as we get into what is um, the nature of things, it is alpha and omega. It includes both and. So flood and drought, not flood or drought. Both are included. Now, the good news for me and hopefully for you is we don't have to love that. Sane people don't do happy dances when they hear there's a flood or that there's a drought. And sane um, people <laughs> can understand that even though I don't like it, I don't do a happy dance, neither of those makes my tail wag. I absolutely am aligned and awake to that they are included in the lay of the land of the unfoldment here in creation. Since recorded history and through the millennia, things like flood and drought are included, alpha and omega. 
the beginning and the end and all that is in between. So for me, this first principle is um, indicative of that and leads me and inspires me and encourages me to lean into the reality that God is, period. God bless each and every one of you. Prayer with you now that we are filled with the richness of spirit and purpose and blessed in success and prosperity in every order of the day, immersed in the presence of pure being and the Holy Spirit, praying that all of our human limitations are erased and that we live from this pure substance. And we're back with Bob Trask on Big Universe, Unity Online Radio. Okay, Bob, you left us at a turning point. Keep going with your story. I love to hear it. So now I'm trying to get the door open. The door won't open. John can't hear me. I can't get into the pilot house to take command of the wheel when this chain breaks, which it surely will do at any moment. I whirled around and leaned up against the bulkhead, which is a seaman's name for a wall, the, the, the wall of the outside of the pilot house. And I, I leaned up against the wall and I looked up and I just said, God, please help me. Now, a little backstory. I spent my earliest years uh, with the Indians in New Mexico learning the old ways of, of great spirit. And then during the Second World War, we went out to South California and, and I became a Catholic. And like I do everything, I became sort of a fanatic Catholic. And I was an altar boy. And then later I went into the seminary and, and I really learned about Catholicism. But there was something missing for me. Something just didn't quite feel right. And so eventually I fell away. And then I went through some really, really awful times of, of praying for things and praying when people were dying and praying. And my prayers were never, ever, never, ever, ever answered. And finally, I just got frustrated and angry one night in the mountains of Oregon when I was working for the Forest Service. And I just, I just said, that's it. I'm done. I'm finished with you, God. I'm done. That's it. I'm finished. I, I, you know, you're supposed to be good. You're supposed to be loving. You're supposed to be kind. But I get nothing back from you. Nothing, nothing, nothing. And I'm done. And so I never spoke to God again after that. Um, but I, I guess I always felt that presence. So now I'm leaning up against, so many years later, I'm leaning up against the wall of the, of the pilot house and the wind is screaming and the waves are like 70 or 80 feet long, high. And if this chain breaks, we're gonna be sliding down sideways and certainly the boat, boat will roll, roll over. And so, and so I look up and I say, please God, please help me. And at that moment, at that moment, I recognized that there was no one there. In the, in, the, in the realizing that I was about to die, in knowing that all of life was over for me, I recognized that there was no one there. And when I recognized that, and when I acknowledged that, that guy in the sky is a non-being, I, I dropped my eyes back down and it felt suddenly a silence in the hurricane. And I felt myself surrounded by a warm presence, like someone was standing behind me with great arms reaching around me, caressing me. I felt loved and a voice in my mind. I didn't see lights, I didn't see anybody, but a, a, a the wisdom in my mind said, now if you'll just keep yourself out of the way, 
I'll get you through this. And I said, I'm out of the way. So the president said, then go in the wheelhouse. And I said, all this is mental, of course. I said, I can't because I can't open the door. And that said, I thought you were going to stay out of the way. And I said, right. So I reached over to the door and it swung right open into the wind. And I went inside and John still had his head down in, in the radar. And I went over to the wheel and the chain broke and the boat immediately slid sideways and started to roll. I gunned that starboard engine and brought us a little bit back into the wave so that I, we didn't roll over. And, jo and John said to me, Bob, I see, a, I see a pier, I see a pier. And I already knew there was no pier. I knew that. And I said, show me, John. And I went over to the radar. He pulled his head back and I looked down and the screen was scrambled like it is when you turn your, tel when your television goes off channel. It was just a scramble. And I said, oh, you see a pier there? He said, sure, look, it's right here. And he pointed. There was no pier. I said, cool. I said, uh, guide me to that pier, John. But to do that, I had to come all the way back around to the right. And remember, my right engine is the only one that I have or the right propeller. So when I go forward, I always turn to the left. So, so, he, so he said, just nurse it around and let the waves carry us towards shore. And I said, but John, if I do that, we're going to go into the rocks. He, he said, right, right, we're going to go into the rocks. And, and I said, and? He said, just go ahead and go into the rocks, rocks Captain. That, that's fine. And so when I, I was able to get my nose around so that we were going straight into the shore, into the rocks with these huge waves behind us, bow first, right into the rocks. And crunch, we went into the rocks. And then I put it in reverse, again gunned that right engine, and we swung out parallel to the beach, pointing to the right. And I went and I kept, the, then I kept the, the wheel as far over to the right as I could. I was able to get about 50, maybe 80 yards up the beach before I went back into the shore again. And then I pulled it back out again. And in that way, we just crabbed up the shore step by step. And we came alongside of a, of a, a cement, there's a cement com company that had a long kind of very narrow pier that just had a conveyor belt on it that they used to, they, to, to run cement out to barges. And there was a little catwalk on it. So I jumped up, so I pulled up alongside, and now the pier's above us and below us and above us and below us because of the waves. And so I said, everybody to the crew, let's get everybody off and get all these people safely up at the end of the dock and find some place that you can hide them out of this wind. So we finally got everybody off. I got the ship's manifest, which that has the role of all the people. And I was the last person off, ran up the dock. And at the end of the dock, there was a cement building made of cement blocks and, and with, the, with, with the door facing the dock. And I went over and opened the door and, my, and everyone was inside. And this, there was these soft cement stacks, sacks about three feet high. Everybody was laying on these, sock, on these sacks. So I went inside and closed the door and had my flashlight. And I said, all right, I'm gonna call roll. So I called roll and everybody answered. And well, I already knew everybody wasn't there because I saw two people go over. So I said, okay, I'm gonna call roll again. Now I'm gonna put the flashlight on your face, so keep your hand up. So I called roll again, and everyone was there. Everyone was there. Wow, and wow. I just broke down and started sobbing. I, was, I just was sobbing. So this was but, a really profound awakening for you in terms of going within. I learned, I learned what the old 
Indians had told me in the, in the reservoir. I remember this one Indian old man leaning against the wall once when I was a kid and, I, and we were talking about God. And he said, you see that rock over there? Bring me that rock. So I went and got the rock. He said, bring it carefully, hold it carefully. I brought it over and he said, see this rock is God. And that, the rest of that day he talked to me about how everything is God, how everything is spirit. Everything is great spirit, and it all fits together, and it's the intelligence of the universe. And at that moment when, when I let the guy in the sky go, and that surrounding, that I got surrounded, I recognized that I'm in, that this is, this is God. This is great spirit. And so the rest of my life has been just doing the work, following that pattern, being in service to as many people as I can in my life has just been one great joy. Beautiful. So quick question, well, maybe not so quick. Um, the idea of your trash triangle, because uh, I'm with Jim, that it's an amazing piece of spiritual mastery and artistry. Can you share with the listeners what exactly it is and how can it benefit them? Thanks, Ramon. Thanks. You know, for centuries, what we've heard from philosophers is that there are only three places where we exist. It's either being, doing or having being doing or having there isn't any other place and but no one has ever figured out how to make those three work together as an energy form so the triangle if you look in your mind at, at a triangle that's in front of you and the lower left hand corner is b at the top of the triangle is do but the lower right hand side of the triangle is have so that b do have is actually a triangle and if you use the energy between those three points to get from one point to the next, then that becomes a motivation and inspiration. It becomes the power of your life because in order to get to do, for instance, which is at the top of the triangle, you have to be who you are. If you don't know who you are, then you have to, you have to find out who you are, learn how you, who you are, at least make an approximation of who you are. It's not enough to say, I'm a man, I'm a father, I'm a, I'm a minister, I'm a sea captain, I'm a singer, I'm a school teacher. That's not enough. Who are you other than, those are titles. Who are you other than that? And if you feel that, then from that comes an inspiration to, to discover yourself and to discover the world. And so the path between being and doing is a path of discovery and it's a path of clarity. And in my triangle, there are four steps. And I'll just tell you, though, I don't expect you to memorize those. The first is, what is what is my vision? Then what is my mission? And who's on my support team? Then what's my next step? And now you find yourself at the top of the triangle in do. And, and then from there, you have, to, you have to have the courage to change because this, this pattern that you've been living in your whole life is like a horse going around a racetrack. You may be strong and powerful, but you don't go anywhere. You just race around and around in circles. This do is where you break out of the circle and go somewhere. So at do, at that place, place in the triangle, at do, you have to take a risk. You, you start down the, that side on that side of the triangle is the side of risk, of taking a risk. In the first step of that, is I'm expanding my identity. I'm being, I'm becoming who I really am, not who I've pretended to be. And so in that line, you just build courage and, and you take a risk and you and the steps over there are I am expanding my 
my identity. I'm following my mission. I'm watching my my vision, and I'm contributing. And you tr and at this point, you certainly are a contributor to the world. And then you come to the bottom right, which is have, and and this place is to celebrate winning, to celebrate having taken this risk and having moved out of the racetrack circle and gotten your life moving forward. And at that point of have, you go into the, across the bottom, which is self-love, because that's how you get to where you really be. I am loved. I am blessed. I am safe. I am free. Those are the steps on the bottom. So as you move across the bottom of the triangle, um, you, you build confidence that you never had before so that when you come back to B, you're not at the same place when you were at, when you were at B before. You're in a different place. You're, you've expanded. And so now your visions and your missions and the other parts around the triangle are going to be on a higher level. Wow. So question for me. If we have time? Yeah, we have plenty of time. Since you mentioned that one of the very first things a person needs to do or to know is who are you? In order to move forward, what kind of advice, recommendations would you give to the listeners to explore, find, who are you? Well, here's a, here's, a, here's a good thing. If you have a partner, somebody that's listening with you, and somebody who, who you can work with, then sit in, <coughs> excuse me, sit down across from them in an open body position and ask this question to them. And then when they're through answering, have them ask the question to you. But do it until you get to, there's no more answers. Ask the question, who are you? And if you say, who are you? They'll say, I'm, I'm John. Um, yes, that's, that's, your, that's the identity you've given yourself. But who gave you that identity? Well, my mother gave me the identity of John. Yes, that's the identity you've given yourself, being the son of your mother. But who is the you that gave you that answer? And you keep asking, who is the you that gave you that answer? Was Because it's you that's answering. So I might be saying, as a result, incidentally, I'm Bob. I'm a minister. I'm a singer. I'm an actor. I'm a fisherman. And every time I say that, this person will say back to me, yes, that's the title you have. But who is the you that gave you that title? Right. And then I'll so it goes on and on. When you get to the end of that, there's nothing left. Then you have to say, I, and the only answer truly is, I am a unique spiritual individual, a mess, uh, an, an incarnation of Holy Spirit in this body to experience and express myself at this time and thereby grow in wisdom and joy as an eternal spiritual being. Now, you can, I don't expect anybody to say that, but people will come to an understanding that all the titles that they've given themselves is not who they are. There's an inner being. There's an inner sacred being that's joy and that's love. And that's more powerful than any other power in the universe. This pure love. And when they get to that place, then, then that's when they can start on triangle. Wow. Thank you. That's great. That's great. Um, talking a little bit more about going from be to do. Um, all those are important steps, vision, mission, support team, and next step. The, what comes to me in terms of what I'm, what I'm trying to understand is what is your support team? How do you develop that? Who is that? Thank you. That's a really, really good question. So, so now I have my vision. So let's say my vision, and the vision has 
the vision is not only a thing, but it's also a time. Like at this time next year, I will have a bestseller book. Um, however, I define bestseller. I'll have a book that's a bestseller at this time next year. So, um, and my mission is, well, I've got to finish this manuscript. I've got to, I'm going to do this. I'm going to get this done. I'm going to get an agent. I'm going to talk to these people. I'm going to get a jump and join a writer's group. And I'm, so these are all my mission steps, but I can't do that. I've, no one has ever accomplished anything on this planet in human race alone. Everyone needs a team, but now you select your team and you select people who are spiritually awake and who are willing to be in service to you and who are also willing to have a vision and a mission. And so that not only are they on your support team, you're on their support team. And then what we do quite often is we have a meeting one day a week. And one day a week, we say, okay, how's your mission going? Or, or, or you're on the other side of the triangle. How are your steps on the, on the risk going? Are you, are you able to really get into self-love? But but these people on the support team have to be willing to, to be so deeply on your support team that they're asking you the critical questions and everyone's growing. I have, I have, I'm on the support team of a woman right now and there's five of us on her support team and they're, every one of them are my teachers, every one of them, because they see things when we're working with her that I don't see and I'm going, oh my, that's, that's an interesting point. I didn't know that. So the support team is absolutely vital. You've got to have a support team. And incidentally, let me say this in case some uh, listeners become a little discouraged because they don't have that many people. One person on your support team is enough. One person is enough. If that person is totally dedicated to your vision, stands by you, understands you, and gives you the support that you need. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, that, was, that really answers my question well. Um, now, in terms of uh, expanding and, and going from do to have, uh, the risk section, um, you talk about uh, working your mission and, and having a focus. Can you talk a little bit on that? Yeah, when this whole thing started, I started down at B, and, and, and I said, what's my vision? That's so important because that vision is going to follow me all the way around this triangle. So when I'm over on the risk side, the first step is I'm expanding my, my identity. I'm expanding my identity to encompass the reality, the truth of my vision, because I can't get from here to there unless I leave here. I can't get from Bellingham to Baltimore unless I leave Bellingham. You can't get to your vision unless you're willing to leave behind the old identity that excluded that vision. So when I'm expanding my, 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 uh, I'm expanding my identity, I do that by then working my mission. I'm actually working my mission. And when I was over on the other side of the triangle, I was finding out what my mission was and what, who was on my support team. This is the do part. This is the part where I actually work my mission. I'm actually doing the work that I said I was going to do, that I set up, constantly having my eyes on my vision. And the mission, incidentally, is not fixed. The mission will quite often change because 
for me to get from here to Baltimore, I may have a map and I may say, I'm going to go this way. But as I start driving, I find out that certain roads are closed and there's, there's floods or snow or whatever. And so I have to change my mission. But my vision is always to get to Baltimore. So my vision stays solid, but my mission changes. But I'm working it over on that side. And, I, and, and when I get, when I, I'm working my mission, I'm, my eyes on my vision, and I come to the place where I say I'm contributing. Then I look around and say, you know what? Because of what I've been doing, I have been contributing. I've been contributing to my support team, to my family, to other people around me. I'm becoming more of who I am. I'm becoming more valuable, not important but valuable in the world. And because I'm doing that, I now win. So I go down to that corner of the triangle that's have. And here's the real, the real tough part for many people is that they're not willing to have, they're not willing to have the win. They're not willing to say, I'm okay. And, and so they can't go into self-love. Right. And that's so important to get to that to get to that place. Bob, it's been a pleasure talking with you and I would love to continue and continue because especially the triangle, there's so much, so much of a wealth of information there. I hope we can have you back sometime soon. I would love to. I'm, I'm so honored, Jim and, and Ramon. Thank you. I, this is, thank this you. has just been an honor for me. Thank you. Well, where can people find out more about your, uh, about your information? Is there a website or do you, I know your book, Romancing the, uh, Romancing the Soul, which is excellent, is available. Um, where can people find out more about you? Um, they can certainly email me, a brother Bob, at unitybellingham.org. Wonderful. And I'm, I'm, because you didn't mention it, so I'm gonna say and www.bobtrask.com. <laughs> Thank you. Thank You're you, everyone. <laughs> let folks know when there's some good stuff out there. Come on. Okay. Thanks, I'll do Bob. that. Thanks, Bob. Thank you very much. Absolutely. For more information about Raymond, go to RaymondAnderson.com. I've got some premium video courses from some great instructors talking about spirituality, creativity, and motivation at YouThriveHere.com. I hope you'll join me there. Thanks, everybody. We'll talk with you next time on Big Universe on Unity Online Radio. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. I'm Dr. Mona Lisa, and I've been a medical intuitive for over 30 years. Let me help you find new ways to heal physical and emotional problems. Be a part of my Healthy Living Intuitively podcast studio audience every week. Follow me on Facebook, Dr. Mona Lisa fan page, and Instagram, Dr. Mona Lisa One, to get that information. I answer audience questions, and you can learn from people calling in that might be dealing with the same things that you are. Follow Healthy Living Intuitively, part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network, and wherever you get your podcasts.